Welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan and Harmon. We're joined today by an actor probably best known for Warehouse 13, but he's also been in Monk, The Mentalist, Friends. And I have to say, it's such a privilege to welcome Eddie McClintock onto our show today. Thank you very much for being here. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. I've been the I've been the star of several canceled television shows. <laughs> I, I I just have to say, Warehouse Thirteen for me, that show spoke so highly to me because it was very much I would sort of liken it to a Saturday morning cartoon for adults. Yeah, because there was certainly that, that darker element to the show for sure which would appeal for adults, but also could appeal for families as well. It's very accessible to a, to a large age group. And I love that it sort of delved into history. And it was such a, you know, a well put together cast. And you could just tell that you guys were having so much fun making that show. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was, uh, when I was growing up in olden times, um, you know, we only had, like four channels, right? Mm. And you actually had to get up and and turn the like turn the knob to the four yeah. channels. So so everybody watched TV together. You know, the family watched TV together. That you know, like I I grew up watching <clears throat> Happy Days and Fantasy Island and Love Boat and uh, you know uh, SWAT and all these other shows and and we all watched as a family and and warehouse 13 seemed to kind of re rekindle that in in a mm. lot of families i hear you know i so often had, had heard people come up and just say you know every, whenever the show was on the whole family would sit down and watch it together mm. and talk about it afterwards and and that's pretty cool you know? yeah it, it was on during a time where we weren't so saturated with um tv shows left and right it was something, it was a show to look forward to each week as well, where, whereas today, I think we've got so much, so much content out there that you can just, you know, watch whatever you want at any time. But back then, it wasn't, you know, you didn't have all this content we have now. So Warehouse 13 was one of those shows that was still in a time where you could look forward to an episode each week and then talk about it within that sort of week before a new episode would come out. Yeah, it's like an old school serial. Exactly. Know, like yeah. Old school cliffhanger. <clears throat> you know, you couldn't wait to find out what was going to happen next week. You didn't you couldn't binge watch everything. Mm. <clears throat> you couldn't binge watch the, the whole show, which again, I think it added to the it said a lot about the the fans that they were willing to come back each week, you know, because a lot of people I, I think, especially in today's climate, they need you know, instant gratification. If they can't binge watch the whole thing at once, they don't have the patience to, you know, wait till the the next week. Do you do you ever struggle with that yourself? Do you ever struggle with because well, I mean, you must use a phone, of course, and you must have an Instagram. You do have an Instagram. Do you do you struggle with that at all? Have has that short thirty second reels affected you as a person? Oh yeah, mm. yeah. I mean. uh it's interesting because um, you know I'm I'm 22 years clean and sober. Um, I'll be 23 years clean and sober uh, January 1st if everything goes well. Um, and uh, I'm I'm working on step one, um, uh, which is 
power it's about powerlessness and and unmanageability and and it would be normally it would be you know if i was just getting sober we'd be talking about how i'm powerless over alcohol and my life had become un, unmanageable but since I, I haven't drank or used in 22 years it's it's the other parts of my life mm. that make my life unmanageable which and and certainly the internet had become one of them you know like i i would realize how poisonous a lot of it was but i just felt compelled to you know brain drain so i've cut my i've cut way down on my uh my internet time you know it's just like there's so it's just especially on twitter you know it used to be fun back when you only had 243 characters mm. and you had to, you had to craft something that was yeah you know, uh, something clever in in uh, in 243 characters or whatever it was. And now it's just, <clears throat> it's all politics and, you know, mm. guys shooting off fireworks out of their buttholes. So but Dave Chappelle, I love when Dave Chappelle said, Dave Chappelle said, the Twitter is, uh, is like the washroom or toilet wall of, uh, of the media. And it's like, Fuck that's that sums it up. Just people just writing shit on it. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and there's there's no accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Like a guy, a guy sitting, you know, in his mom's basement can reach out to, you know, someone like, I don't know, I won't use myself, but but uh, uh someone a celebrity or whatever, and just say whatever awful, horrible thing they want. Um, without any accountability you know back in the day you walk up to somebody and you say something to them <clears throat> then they you get to you know you get to decide whether or not um, you want to get your ass kicked yeah yeah it's much more real yeah and, and uh, there's not enough there's not enough uh, there's not enough ass kickings you know everybody just says that thinks they can do and say whatever they please without uh you know there's something, there's something about you well like we we've like we're five minutes in there's something about you that's very like i feel like you're a very deep and a philosophical thinker and i say this because um i've been listening to jordan peterson for a very long time and i was going through your instagram and i saw that you should be a monster picture when you were wrestling i thought man i know how you think like not how you think but i know what you're you know you're you're thinking pattern so yeah Talk to me about being a monster. And I just want to dive in deep now. First of all, I, I love listening to Jordan Peterson as well. I think he's brilliant. Um, he's got a huge heart, obviously. You know, he's not afraid to show emotion and, and uh, he doesn't get caught up in all the, you know, this is what it's supposed to be to be a man tropes. Um, and uh, it's unfortunate that because he speaks the truth um he's been villainized it's um you know it's but it's the tactic that is being used against anyone that goes against the narrative so but i, I love jordan peterson um just for the record um i think he's brilliant um <clears throat> as far as being a monster um you know i'm an emotional guy hmm. uh, uh you know, I I cry at movies. <laughs> you know, like, like you know, 
my I'm, I'm my father's son so you know i would call my dad and <clears throat> he'd be crying i could tell he was crying I'm like are you crying he's like yeah i'm like are you watching private ryan again <laughs> yeah and, you know it just but see the reason we cry is because we have we i think you know understand the emotion so deeply that it affects us to the level um and i don't find myself crying at movies but i do find myself sometimes tearing up at lyrics of songs sometimes sure sure because you can understand like music and words can they affect you very deeply yeah. and, and like do you do that as well does that Oh, big time. I mean, music, music? For, <laughs> yeah, for music for me growing up again, it was like my dad raised me by himself. Um, you know, he, he was my biggest, uh, my biggest fan. Um, he, he certainly had ample opportunities and good reasons to kind of distance himself from me and and um, because I was a wild kid, man, I was a wild kid. I, you know, I played football and I wrestled at a very high level and that kept me out of, that kept me at, alive, I think. Um, Cause otherwise I was just, you know, I was a latchkey kid, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my dad taught me to appreciate music and, and um, especially now my, my dad died uh, last, not this past March, but the March before. And I had made him this playlist of all his favorite songs. And the last 48 hours of his life, we just. Oh, man. We listened to the playlist together. Um, he and I and my sister, and we talked about the song and where we were and what it reminded us of. And <clears throat> excuse me. And so it, yeah, man. Uh, I, I see, I see music as memory triggers, mm. like, you know, and it, it, it reminds me of good times and it reminds me of, of times that were hard. So. Mm. Do, you, do you think in life that people don't um, get to that self-reflective place enough? Uh, of course. But yeah. I think that's, I think that that's just based on the individual. Some people just don't have the capacity to go there. Mm. I think I, for me, I believe it's probably just a personality trait, you know. Yeah. Um, but back to being a monster, um, I'm fiercely loyal to uh, my friends and family, and uh, I'm not, I'm not an aggressive person. Um, but uh, if you mess with my people, yes, sir. Mm. Um, you know, I, I do have the capacity to harm you, mm -hmm. as you and should. As as you should, you should be a monster, and you should learn to control that monster. Mm. You know, because if you can't be a monster, then you then you can't protect yourself or your people. You know? mm. Um, so. You know, especially with wrestling and football and and uh, just the, you know, the, you know, I, I never, I never was in the military. I never went to war, but there's still, I think there's a, 
a warrior component in certain people mm. that um, is just below the surface, you know. And it's always just below the surface for me. I, uh, you know, I, I just, I like. I had, I had some guy, I had some guy at the gym, and you know, I'm, I not to toot my own horn, but I'm like one of the nicest guys. Like, mm. I, I just like, I like to talk to everybody. You know, I think it freaks people out at the gym a little bit because I'm walking around, I'm saying hi to everybody. You know, I'm, I, I, it's old school, man. I just, it's the way I, it's the way I am. Like, you know, do you need help or whatever? And it, you know, nowadays people are like, who are you? Why is this stranger danger or whatever? Mm. But um, I was, I was carrying my bag and my towel. I had a stuff, bought a bunch of stuff in my hand and I had to sneeze. So I kind of sneezed into my shoulder. Yeah. And this guy, he could have said a thousand other things than what he said, but he 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 goes, "Hey, did you just sneeze without covering your mouth?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "How did you respond to that?" <laughs> I was like, "Excuse me," <laughs> and he was like, "That's rude." He he pressed, he pressed. Mm. And I just, I just went off the planet, you know, I, I just was like, you know, it's like, say something nice, be nice yeah. about it, be, be polite about it. But, you know, again, again, people are so used to being able to say whatever they want to say yeah. without someone calling them on their shit. And what I just, changed, was, what changed Eddie? Why, why do you think, well, how, Give me an uh, give me a number. How old do you think that guy would? Let's say he was in his thirties. Like, yeah, yeah. When did this transition happen? Well, man, I remember when they started giving out part participation trophies. Oh, yeah. And uh, and you know, like the lesson in life, especially in competition, is. You learn to win with grace and you learn to lose with grace. Mm -hmm. And if you take that away from somebody, then they never learn that important lesson. Whether you won, you be graceful. Whether you lose, you be graceful. And you give everybody a participation trophy and there's yeah. no lesson learned. And, and it's like, a, you know, it's like a microcosm for life, if, you yeah. know? Um, <clears throat> you know, Sometimes, you know, some got to win, some got to lose. And sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. And it's how you, um, it's how you deal with that and how you were raised yeah. that, that, that will prepare you for the losses that come along mm -hmm. and the wins. I, I come from a country town, so everyone knew each other. So everyone was in each other's lives all the time. So, like you said, you're the person who talks to everyone. We we were very much the same way. And you just learn, I think, at a young age, you're just respectful of, of everyone you meet. Of course. Yeah. And I think I think it's based on how we're raised as well. Because I've found living in the country. Every other country kid I know that now lives in the city has that sort of politeness and that respectfulness towards other people that people in perhaps cities don't don't have. And yeah. I think how you're raised as a child or in your childhood also 
factors into who you are as an adult. And how was it like growing up or being raised by a father? Um, uh, well, um, you know, my mom, the, the world was a little too big for my mom. And um, when I was younger, um, you know, I, I had a really good relationship with my mom. My dad was kind of the sports guy. He wrestled and played football. He played football in college. And um, so, but my mom always kind of cultivated my artistic side. Mm. And, um, and then um, she, she basically checked out. Um, and uh, my parents separated when I was in eighth grade and I went to live with my dad and it was hard. We were living in a one bedroom apartment. Um, I was sleeping on the couch every night, which is why I, I kind of prefer sleeping on the couch now. It means like, you know, because at the time it was very exciting. Um, we were kind of bachelors, you know, the, bat yeah. the two bachelors. And, but, you know, the thing is my dad, he didn't know how to cook. Um, but he, he bought a crock pot and he read about how to set this up so that he could turn the crock pot on in the morning and set it so that by the time dinner was ready, it would be ready. Mm. And, and again, that's just kind of a, that's what happened. He just started to adapt and learn and, 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 and he just, man he just loved me and he mm. you know up to his up to his dying breath um and uh you know it's, like i said it was difficult at times because i was an asshole um i um <clears throat> i i always got out of trouble because i would do something great on the football field or on the wrestling mm. mat that would, get, that would get me out of trouble mm. like one time my dad found I don't know he found like joints in my room or something and he was so furious with me and I went off to school and then that night we played Jackson which was a big rival for us to go to the playoffs and um in the in the first quarter I the quarterback was rolling out to the left and I I, I played monster back so I would go to the weak side and I mean, I crushed him. I just destroyed him and then planted him in the ground. And and he never came back in the game after that. And we won. And when I walked over the sidelines after the game, my dad, who had had a mustache every day of his life, his mustache was gone. Right. And I was like, I was like, what what happened? Where's your mustache? And he was like, you pissed me off. I was so pissed off this morning that when I was shaving, I took a big chunk out of my mustache. <laughs> so, so I had to shave the whole thing off. <laughs> you, you asshole. And, um, and, you know, then everything was kind of forgotten, you know. Um, so, you know, he just, like I said, um, when because he was concerned about me coming out of college. I did graduate from college. I, uh, I, I crammed, uh, I crammed four years into six. I wrestled for three years. Um, no one was more shocked, uh, than me that I actually got a diploma. Um, 
I, I actually, I did um, for my senior uh, project, I had to give a, a one hour presentation. Um, this was for my communications degree. And I did a, um, I did, I had to have, you know, um, visual aids and stuff like that. So I did my, I did my project and I don't know why I did it on a, a male prosthetic. Um, back then, before Viagra, um, men would have to have a semi-rigid um, uh, implant mm -hmm. inserted into the into the oh. penis. Oof. And so I did a big cross section of a dick, <laughs> and I basically did like a fifty-minute stand-up routine about a male prosthetic <laughs> everybody laughed and uh, you know i got a huge applause at the end and you know I, <laughs> I, I i was feeling cocky and good and uh the next day or two later i was on the elevator and um my professor got on the elevator and uh he said um how you doing, Eddie? You know, I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? You know, the smile. He's like, I'm good. He goes, listen, I just want you to know I'm, I'm going to pass you. And he said, but I'm not going to pass you by much. And I also want you to know that I see you and you don't fool me. Hmm. Wow. And, uh, wow. And I was like, uh, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> Of course, of course, I I knew exactly what he meant. Um, I I was a a chameleon. Mm. I was um I don't know, almost like a con man, I guess you know. Um, and I was hiding. Mm. And um, years later. Wright State University, where I graduated, asked me to come back and host a hundred million dollar fundraiser that was associated with Tom Hanks, um, a black tie event. Uh, I mean, it, it was massive, mm. um, and uh, in in the giant auditorium, <clears throat> and um, in the middle of the ceremony. Um, one of the administrators from Wright State came up on stage and said, hey, Eddie, we um, we have a special guest here that wants to see you. And um, and it was Dr. Shoup. It was uh, my, my professor that mm -hmm. had told me that story when I was in the elevator. Oh. And, um, and I got to personally thank him because even though I still had many years to go before I finally decided to get my act together um that always stuck with me mm. was that the punch and in the face was that a it, it, it was yeah it was uh, and i you know i blocked it a little mm. bit it was it, you know I, I blocked it for a while and then you know realized that he was he was a little bit smarter than i was Mm, or wiser as well. Oh, Eddie, oh. If we flip this, 
um, you being raised by a father. And I think I was in the same boat. I've, I was raised by my mom. And um, how do you think your personality would have differed? Or how different you would have been if you were raised by a mother? Well, if I had been raised by a, a sane mother, um, I think I I think it would have been okay. Um, but just my mom was incapable. Mm. Um, so if I if I would have stayed with my mom, I think I don't know if I'd be here. Um, you know, my mom she always loved me you know it wasn't it wasn't that she didn't love me she just couldn't like i said the world was too big she just couldn't deal with the world so she and then especially after the the separation and divorce of my parents um she just receded into uh herself so how did so, you, sorry how did your dad filled up that emotional side of a mother and having that strong male figure in your life as a father, was he able to do that? Well, my dad was the kind of guy, you know, he, we always hugged, we always kissed, we always were very, you know, affectionate. Um, he always told me that he loved me. Um, so, you know, even though he was a, a tough, tough dude and a, and a big guy and, um, he he still was able to access that mm, mm. that part of of of, of yeah. who he was without without you know again falling back into the you know be a man this is what a man is men don't hug men don't tell each other they love each other men don't you know you know, I mean, I, like my dad and I weren't like, you know, he would give me a kiss on the cheek and we would hug and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it, it was affection and, and and true affection. And so um, I, I was incredibly lucky in that way that I because it made me who I am. I mean, I I uh, I'm an emotional guy and mm. I, I love deeply and I'm not afraid to tell people how I feel about them. And I, I'm not afraid to tell people about who I am or how I feel about myself you know I just like I I I would say I'm an open book but I'm more like an open mad magazine you know mm -hmm. kind of a kind of a quick read you know <laughs> like that how, how does acting come into your life uh well I you know I grew up loving um the fawns I grew up loving uh, the Not Ready for uh, Primetime Players, the original cast of Saturday Night Live. I used to watch the Carol Burnett show with Tim Conway and, and uh, Harvey Korman, um, Mel Brooks, um, you know, Animal House. My, that was one of the things that my dad and I, we, we and, and my family, we would go to the movies a lot. And, and I used to... Like I remember, we, my dad took me to see Rocky, and I don't know if this has much to do with it, but it, there was the point where he was doing those one one arm push ups, and he would switch back and forth in the mm -hmm. air. And I told my dad, "I go, I can do that." <laughs> my dad was like, "No, you can't." And I'm like, "I can't. I I bet I can." And he goes, "You know, I'll give you a dollar for every one you can do." And I went home and and did like 
20 or something. He was just gobsmacked. But um, anyway, that's kind of off the point. But I, I uh, so I used to love doing impersonations of the people from Saturday Night Live. And my mom tells a story. She used to tell the story that she remembers pulling up to my baseball practice one day and um, all the guys rushed to the car and they were like, Eddie, Eddie, do me, do me, do me. And then I would do my impersonation of them. And then they'd be like, you know, do, do me, do me. And it's, that was like one of the, that was one of her fondest memories. Um, and, and I kind of, so that was always kind of in me. I always loved film. I always like, you know, love to do stuff like that. Quoting movies like guys do. And um I moved to California after, after I graduated, I moved to California to sell corporate insurance for my uncle. Cause again, I was a chameleon. And um, every time I would come out to LA, I was able to put on the sport coat and tie and I could go to the country club and I could speak um, country club talk. And, um, but then, you know, as soon as I left, I'd be putting my doc Martens on and, you know, like listening to ministry or skinny puppy or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and so he, he fired me after six months, which, which was the best thing. I absolutely, you know, mm. agree. I, I was pretty worthless. Um, uh, and so I moved from West Los Angeles to, to Hollywood and I started working as a production assistant. And I was working as, as a PA for a couple of years, still drinking and using. Um, and then one day a friend of mine said, hey, I'm going to take an acting class. Do you want to take an acting class with me? And I was like, sure. Mm -hmm. And um, they gave me, the, the teacher gave me a, a monologue and said, Monday, I want you to come back in and do this monologue. So for the first time since I, because I never studied in college. I just never did. I just, I don't know how I got through, but for the first time, I can't even remember the last time I actually took time to try and work like that. Mm. And, and I did it. I memorized the monologue and I brought it in and I did it for the class. And, and, and again, he said to me, he goes, you know, I didn't think you'd do it. He's like, I didn't think you'd do it. Mm. He was like, so, so, you know, good, good job that you, that you got through this. And then once that happened, I started to kind of believe, um, I mean, I was in acting class with uh, Gary Shandling and uh, um, Charlize Theron and David Spade. And uh, I mean, you know, on and on and on. My, my acting coach uh, was, is, is uh, Ivana Chubbuck. Charlize thanked her when she won her Academy Award. Elizabeth Shue thanked her when she won her Academy Award. Halle Berry thanked her when she won her Academy Award. Mm. And I, <clears throat> that's when I got sober. So I kind of had to cut everybody out of my life. Mm. And so I just went to acting class, you know, as much as I could. And then eventually I got a job there. Um, and so I didn't have to pay for class. Um, and then one day, uh, this guy approached me and he said, Hey, I told my manager about you and I want you to meet with him. And, um, I met with him and he also is from Ohio, strangely enough. And he said to me, he was like, you know, 
I, I would never take on someone that's age 27 that doesn't have a single credit. Mm-hmm. He's like, I just wouldn't do it. But he goes, I, I, because of the recommendation from his other client and meeting with me, he goes, I think, I think we'll give this a try. Mm. So then within, I don't know, a week, I ended up testing at the network for my first ever thing. I I went all the way up to the network and I, I can remember we, you know, I was so green that, um, like during my audition, I would make the casting directors laugh and then I would stop and go, really? Is that funny? And they're like, don't do that. Just mm-hmm. Don't, mm-hmm. just keep going. Yeah. And um, I didn't get the job. It was going to be a, it was going to be a spinoff of married with children. And it was going to be kind of an anti friends. It was going to be called enemies. So um, just a bunch of, you know, crazy dysfunctional you know, fuck ups, if I may say so. Um, but but I went all the way to the network and then everything just started to happen. Mm. You know, I I um I did this show, I did the first speaking role I was ever on was Young and the Restless. And interestingly enough, at that time I had a commercial agent. Um, and that that's really where I got my start. Uh, I got the a commercial agent. And I booked two Coors Light commercials. Ironically, I'd just gotten sober, but now I'm selling beer. Mm. <laughs> and um, and uh, the the two beer commercials brought in enough money where I still lived in a crappy apartment, but the rent was paid and my car was a jalopy, but it had gas in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, and uh, so my first real audition was for young and the restless. And my, my agent was like, okay, but you have to dance. And I'm like, dude, no, <laughs> I'm like, no one on the planet wants to see me dance. <laughs> and, and he was like, well, just go and just give it a try. See what happens. So I went and, um, and, you know, all the guys were in there kind of stretching out and, you know, warming up and shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, you know, if my my football coming <laughs> football and wrestling, that would have been like, what is this? My football and wrestling dad back home could have seen me, you know. And um and so they went like, okay, you, and then this guy did his dance and whatever, and they're like, okay, you, and he did his thing, and then they got to me, and I just I did the spicoli from fast times. I was like, Yeah. <laughs> And they kind of, they were like, and this was, if I ever wrote a book or if I ever do a podcast, it's going to be called, who the hell are you? And how did you get in here? <laughs> they basically were so incredulous. Like they were just like, what, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And I was like, man, I don't know, but I'm having fun. Yeah. And I got the job. Mm. And so again, that was kind of a, it became a, I'm like, oh, okay. So all I have to do is just be myself mm. and not, you know, try and be something that I'm not. Yeah. Um, and uh, which is kind of the, has really been the downfall of, of today's auditions because I would say 90% of my audition is what happened before I even started to read. Mm. Me being able to walk in the room 
sit down with these people, talk to them, you know, because when you walk into a room like that, they're going, I could potentially have to spend the rest the, the next 10 years of my life with this person. Mm, yeah. If the, if the series goes on and on and on. Mm. So they're trying to find out who you are. Mm. I just, you know, I never had problems just, just yeah just be you right at the start yeah yeah and um that's gone now mm. it's gone and i don't think it's coming back i mm. mean now now it's all on tape you, you know you don't meet with them at all um and, and really they just they have you slate so you can't small talk there's mm-hmm. nothing to i mean you can kind of kind of force something in there i guess but still man for me that's not it's not organic you know and um and it's a shame it's a shame and i it's it is it has affected my i mean besides the fact that i'm an old straight white male um it has has really impacted my my career well the connection is is lost if you're just doing it over a zoom or, or what have you the connection is is wiped away. There's no sort of personal connection there with with the person that you're in the room with because you're not in the room, right? Yeah, and another number it's essentially. Even, yeah, it's not even a Zoom call. It's yeah. not even a Zoom call. Just it's, it's like put yourself on tape. So at least in a Zoom call, you could still yeah interact. Something. I mean, yeah. and you don't even know if they're watching your whole audition. They could just be yeah, exactly. What after it, a minute? Yeah. Yeah, Eddie, you talked about you touched on um, how you were using, and then you started this acting class, and then you just switched, and then you decided to be sober. Um, do you think that was a coincidence that the depend like you were? I feel like you had like a sort of monotonous job for a while. And then you had, then you were using, and then acting came into your life, and that that switch from um, using to acting. Do you think that was a coincidence, or it was just like a? Well, I can remember I had been up all night. Um, I was at a payphone on Santa Monica Boulevard, and I was supposed to meet with my uh, acting partner to rehearse. And I called in with this like, hey, man, I'm not feeling so good. Uh, I'm going to have to postpone. And and he said, you know what, Eddie, I don't think you're serious about this. So I'm going to get a different scene partner. Ooh. I'm going to request a different scene partner. And again, I was just that's one of those touchstone moments for me. And I was like, OK, I'm either going to. I'm either going to get serious about this and I'm going to I'm going to give it 100% or I'm going to end up having to go back to Ohio and and be like, you know, the funny ditch digger. Mm. And no 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 shade on ditch diggers, um but I just that wasn't what I wanted from myself and so yeah, I I uh and don't get me wrong, I I actually relapsed um after that and uh and that was that was tough. I was doing a show called Start Raving Mad 
with uh, Tony Shalhoub and Neil Patrick Harris and uh, uh, Steve Levitan, who created Modern Family and, and Just Shoot Me. <clears throat> and um, everything, was, everything was going great. We won the People's Choice Award for Best New Comedy. I mean, I was making more money that I was making more money a week than my dad was making in a year. And um, I just kind of was like, hey, man, mm. I let myself believe that uh, I was, um, you know, able to drink and use like a gentleman. And um, and it, I ended up uh, I ended up 5150 at Cedar Sinai, which is a 72 hour psych hold. And. Um, and uh, so. That was pretty much it for me. I was like, OK. I'm done because I had tried all the different. I'm like, OK, how can I continue? To drink and use. So I'd be like, what if I only did this and this? Mm. I tried that. I'm like, OK, what if I tried this and this? And I and I always ended up in the same place. Mm. So eventually I got smart enough. Um, you know, there was a God component that uh, I believe helped me. Um, and and I realize now whenever I think about drinking and using, I just do the math because mm -hmm. the math always leads me back to the exact same number. Mm. And, and uh, that's what's kind of, and you know, these past few years, man, have been just, you know, a lot, my mom died in October, my dad died in March. Um, you know, like my, my, my dog got eaten by a coyote a month ago. I mean, it's just yeah. been, yeah. You know, my, my chihuahua got eaten by a dog. You know, I got these, I mean, there's a lot going on, man, but I just know drinking and using isn't going to make it better. It's mm. going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of, you know, I, I am who I am now. I'm, I'm, you know, people go through changes and, and uh, they become, you know, different and stuff. But I don't think, I think I'm kind of where I'm going to be. Hmm. So, so, you know, especially with, the, again, the death of my father, it's caused me to um, self-reflect a little bit more. And, um, you know, there's some things that, that I know I, I need to change about myself still. Um, <laughs> I've never paid a bill in my life. Um, I've always paid someone like when mm. I started, I started making money. I knew that, you know, I was an irresponsible dick. Mm. So at least I was responsible enough to hire someone who would make sure that my bills were paid every, every month. So for 20 years, you know, and uh, so, you know, there's always room for growth. You talked about being a chameleon. You said you were a chameleon. Um, while growing up, were you picking up personalities from people and trying to formulate your own? Yeah, I think so. I mm. think so. I think, you know, I think every kid kind of goes through that, especially yeah. in adolescence, puberty. Who am I? What do I what am I doing here? I was kind of a it was a a strange dichotomy because 
I was an athlete, um, but I was also an artist. I, you know, I do graphic design and I paint and, and uh, so, you know, it's like back then you're either, you're either a jock or you, you go mm -hmm. to the creative arts center with all the, the artsy fartsies. And so I was like, I don't know who, who am I? You know, I, I got along with the jocks. I got along with the burnouts. I got along with, uh, you know, I guess it was a, a, a self-preservation mechanism, you know, like I was just able to uh, assimilate, you know. So let's talk about faith. Um, what is your relationship with like God? I grew up Catholic. Um, my mom and her sisters were all going to be nuns. Um, and then uh, she met my dad. And um, none of them ended up becoming nuns. They're all married. And I have two terrific aunts. Um, but um, I went to Catholic school, which was, they were brutal to me. Um, I had... They called it hyperactivity back in the day. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I was taking Ritalin. They had me on Ritalin and and they used to they used to take my desk and push it to the corner of the room and then they would take a partition. Like a one of those, like a almost like a, I don't know, a Venetian blind is that what, and, mm. and just partition my desk off so that I couldn't distract all the other kids. <laughs> kids. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I kind of was labeled a bad kid, you mm -hmm. know, I, I always had to sit at the front of the bus because otherwise I was, you know, and it, and it was nothing like back in the, back in the seventies, uh, streaking and mooning was a big thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought it was hilarious and my parents thought it was hilarious. So I thought it would be hilarious to moon my school bus. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, you'd have thought that I had, you know, committed some kind of sacrilegious offense against Jesus or something, the way they treated me, um, the way they punished me for it, uh, the way they humiliate, humiliated me for it. Um, and so I basically turned my back on God because I was like, I don't want anything to do with that that's what god is and that's what religion is i don't i don't want anything to do with that um i got to the point where i was i would openly just say i'm atheist you know um i thought that it was i i was uh, i i think i was arrogant in my in in my um disbelief which i see a lot now um it's it, there's a lot of arrogance in disbelief and um and that, that's that's who i was and then i as i got a little older i started meeting people who you know because i was like what now you believe like there's a god there's this dude in the sky and what and he rolled a boulder and what come on that's but then you know i started to meet people who were very intelligent and had faith. Mm. 
And then I realized how arrogant it was for me to, hmm. I think it takes more effort to believe in absolutely nothing as an atheist than to be open to the possibility that there's something. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, a few years ago when my work started to dry up, I called Dean Kane. You know, Dean Kane is a, a do you know Dean? Do you know who Dean Kane is? Yeah, uh, Superman. Yeah. 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 And I was like, Dean, I know you do these like out of Hollywood films. You know, do you think you could help me meet somebody? And Dean put me in contact with uh, a guy, the owner of JC Films. And it's not Jason, it's, it's not jesus christ films it's jason campbell films and i met with with jason and he was like yeah come out let's see what we can do and um and it but it's a but the films are are christian they're christian based but they don't they don't club you over the head with dogma um it's just they're just good like you know moral plays mm. you know? and um i mean there's a faith component but it's not you know no one's speaking in tongues and mm. and uh and saying things like you know if you're gay you're gonna burn in hell and if you're if you don't do this that you know this is gonna happen to you there's none of that um mm. and i wouldn't i wouldn't do that i mm. i don't i don't want to be a part of that so the people that I met there were just like, I just love these people, man. I mean, they're just these the most caring, giving people. And um, and then when my father died, you know, the last few years of my the last couple years of my dad's life, he would um he would say that he was praying for me. And that was new. And um and I just thought maybe it's time for me to at least explore a spiritual path and mm -hmm. try and try and reconnect with whatever, you know? Um, so I, um, I've been on that journey. I, so here's the thing when here's, here's was kind of the, um, the, the the seminal moment was uh when my dad was dying you know the last 12 hours was just horrific i mean it was it was awful and mm -hmm. and um when he finally passed uh the nurse the the uh, hospice nurses said you know don't worry your dad is still with you your dad is still you'll still be able to talk to your dad. He still hears you. Hmm. And I wanted to believe that that was true. And so I started, you know, contemplating that possibility. And even if it, you know, there's this, there's this um, saying in AA, fake it till you make it, you know? So like, just, just keep saying the words until you believe them basically. Right. So, um, Two nights before he died, my dad and I were sitting alone in his room and we were watching the basketball March Madness and the the lights were out, but I could see my dad's face from the light of the TV. 
and I had this big bag of Skittles. So I was sitting there eating Skittles. And my dad is like, you know, he he couldn't hardly talk and uh, he couldn't swallow and he hadn't eaten. I mean, he was, you know, he was on his, his way out. But he said, he said, hey, Ed, what, you, you got candy over there? And I was like, yeah, I got Skittles. I said, do you want a Skittle? And he's like, yeah, I'll have a Skittle. And I was like, do you want lemon, lime, grape, strawberry, orange? And he said, yeah, give me, give me an orange one. Mm. So I gave him one orange Skittle and, uh, and I, and I, and I was like, you know, how was it dad? And he was like, good. I said, do you, do you want, do you want another one? He goes, I said, no. So I packed up my the remaining bag of Skittles and I put it in my backpack. And then my sister came in the next day. I'd forgotten all about the Skittles. My dad passed. I, I put my sister on a plane in Philly and then I was flying back to LA and I was listening to the I was listening to the the playlist that I had made for my dad, and I was just you know looking out the window and just you know crying and crying for the loss of my father and my best friend. And um, and then at some point, I guess, and I and thinking about thinking about whether I could actually talk to my dad and whether or not he would hear me. Mm. and uh at one point i reached into my bag and i was like oh i i still have some skittles mm. so past the time i was reaching in and eating skittles and eating skittles and i got down the bag was empty and i was getting ready to throw the bag away and i rattled the bag and i opened up the bag and there was one skittle left in there it was one orange skittle mm. And I was just like, okay, no. you know, I don't know. I don't know if, if it's, if, is it a coincidence? Eh, maybe I don't like, I want to believe, like, I want to believe, man. Mm. Like that was my dad saying, you know, I got you, I got you. Mm. And, and so that orange Skittle and that bag goes everywhere with me. Mm. You wow. still have it? Oh yeah. Oh, Wow. That's an incredible story. I think in moments like like that, I think we're just looking to make sense of it as well. We need something to grasp onto to, you know, in order in order for it to in order for us to articulate what had just happened as well. And I think that was your that was definitely your moment. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie, um, just before we start wrapping this up, you are a father as well now. Yeah. How do you um how do you navigate that? How do you um do you learn from it? Do you make mistakes every day? Oh yeah. What's the what's the experience like? It's difficult. Um, you know, like um when when I was gonna have kids, I I was like, you know, I thought, hey, I'm gonna gonna have a couple. I'm gonna have a puppy. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it's obviously much more complicated than that. I've made plenty of mistakes. Um, the one thing that I have been very consistent about is that I've always loved them and let them know that I love them and that you know mm -hmm. they are they are, um the most important thing in my life 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. The, uh, my one son will be 18 at the end of the month and my other son will be 17 in December. And, you know, COVID uh, did a number on them. Um, just, you know, being alone, you know, at first it was like, what? We don't have to go to school. Yeah. And then after a while, it's like, you know, they just go stir crazy. You know, well, those kids are missing out on those sort of seminal high school years as well. Yeah. In that time, you know, coping mechanisms yeah. and how to interact properly and how to deal with, you know, the fact that they're being given participation trophies. Mm. What, what what do you think your dad would have made, or what did your dad make of your success? He was so happy for me. Like I said, he was he was worried because, you know, I mean, I, you know, I just was kind of a fuck up. Mm. And he loved me, but I was a fuck up. And so all of a sudden, you know, all the things that it, all the things that had kind of all my quirks and my, you know, little things that maybe made me a fuck up now were, were paying my bills. Mm. Wow. So there was a, there was a huge sense of validation there. I, I think I, I think I, um, I I I measured my self esteem by by the level of success I had, um, and uh, he was proud of me. He was mm. proud of me, and I I flew him around different parts of the country and came to visit me on the set of Warehouse Thirteen and. He saw me do sitcoms and he got to meet, you know, some people that he never thought he would get to meet. He was very excited about and, um, And he was, like I said, he was my biggest fan. Mm. He was my biggest fan. You're, um, you're 56 now, which is, you look great, by the way, for someone who's 56. <laughs> I have to just say that. <laughs> what, what would you tell your younger self? Uh, Let's say, so Dan's 32, I'm 25. So let's say 26 or 27, Eddie. Gosh. I mean, uh, the sooner you get your life together, the sooner you can begin your life. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. That's a That's very good one. Good. Yeah. This this has been such an incredible time with you. This, thank oh, you so thank much for for doing this. Um, do you have any more questions? No, I'm good, man. Um, go yeah, on, go on. I I just being a big fan of Warehouse Thirteen. Do do you have a memory from that show that you can share with us? A favorite, the one, the, the one that comes to mind uh the, the most often is um in, in the last episode when pete puts his hand on the on the table you know mm. um and and uh and he says you know my my best moments here were all of it 
mm. all the time, all the time that I got to spend here and, and spend with you. Mm. And uh, before we shot that, our director and, and executive producer, Jack Kenny, came up to me and he whispered in his ear and he's like, now remember, you'll probably never see any of these people again. And, <laughs> and I just started crying. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because... Like again, here here I was. I was this wrestler fuck mm. up from Ohio who somehow ended up being the star of a show in Hollywood that cost like three million dollars an episode. Yeah. And I was so proud of of myself hmm. for for having come that far, and you know the 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 loss of that, um, the loss of that really, um, you know, did a number on me. It was it was hard, um, um, but but yeah, that moment for me, um, because that was me just telling the truth. That was Eddie. That was not to speak about mm. myself in the third person, but that was me being as honest and truthful as as I could ever be. There was that show had such a authenticity to it, um, just in terms of the actors who were playing those roles and the writing that went into it and the sort of time it took to make and create those shows. There's an authenticness about it that I think, you know, it's, it's rare to find. Yeah. Um, Saul used to say we had lightning in a bottle. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Lightning in a bottle. Mm. I like that. Well, Eddie, this has been, this has been amazing. So you're such a deep thinker and you're very considerate with your answers and, you know, we just loved having you on the show. Thank, Thank you. you so much for doing this. Absolutely. And- it's my pleasure. And anytime you want to do it again, let me know. Please, of course. I want to say something just before I wrap this up. And this this might be off record. I'm deeply unsatisfied by finishing this podcast because I want to go two more hours <laughs> just picking your minds and just talking, just philosophical yeah. shit. Yeah. And just, um, I relate to you a lot because... You know, like this Jordan Peterson, what you said, you being a philosophical thinker, you said you were a chameleon. And I think I'm in that stage of my life. I'm 25. I'm still figuring out where I'm headed and where I'm going and trying to, you know, align my who I am and what my personality is. So maybe I related to your story, but um, we're definitely doing this again. We're going to hit you up and we're going to talk more about this, man. That would be fantastic.